Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. The topic for today's podcast is, Is Aikido Really Conflict Resolution? Joining me in this discussion is Dan Torlescu. Before we get started, please consider supporting this podcast by liking and sharing it. If you're interested in even more content, please consider subscribing to the Spirit Aikido Online program. I'm proud to announce that the program now has over 250 videos. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Well, I'm very excited about this episode. I'm welcoming uh, Dan Trudescu back to the show. Uh, welcome, Dan. We've got a great topic today, and that is, is Aikido conflict resolution? So um, why don't we just kick off, and, and uh, this is something that's on your, been on your mind lately, so tell us what you're thinking. Interesting. Yeah, it's great to be back. Um, right. Yeah, this this has been on my mind. I mean, as some people have heard me before know, I teach com uh, conflict communication, and this is one of the things that I do is courses on this, and uh, I've started training to be a mediator, so I've been exposed to the bigger range of conflict resolution. You see it a lot with Aikido, as you were saying before in the marketing, that, you know, we say, hey, this will teach you better conflict resolution. What we're going to do today is we're going to unpack that a little bit, hopefully, in the conversation and see if that's actually true and to what extent. It is one of the claims. And, and you know, I know that there's been a lot of discussion lately about, and by lately, I mean in the past few years, about questioning whether one of Aikido's big claims of oh, it's a martial art, it does have self-defense relevance, that's being questioned. I think the second big claim is that practicing Aikido will give you better conflict resolution skills. And so I think, although it's the, is it a martial art argument tends to get a lot of, uh, a lot of play, this is one that doesn't get a lot of discussion. So I'm, I'm interested in this. And uh, just to let the audience know uh, as well, I've done mediation myself um, in a number of, pretty high tense situations. Now, nothing like a hostage neg negotiation or anything, but when you, when you are exposed to a conflict situation, it can be very emotionally charged and, and with very passionate people that are not re ready to just give up or back off or leave or depart or, you know, run away. Uh, it, it takes a lot of engagement to resolve that, not just, oh, I just need to be a nicer person. Uh, or the, you know, the, the other part, which is, oh, they need to be a nicer person and just do what I want them to do, and which is where the underlying conflict comes in when both parties think that the other one is the one that's being a jerk. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. That, that's the conversation equivalent of you attack wrong. <clears throat> right. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. Um, let me, uh, yeah, go ahead. So I, I guess the first thing would be, does Aikido actually do a good job of following up its claim of saying it will teach you better conflict resolution or those uh, the skills re related to conflict resolution well i think that's an interesting one because it's i mean okay if you looked at any online almost any online aikido community yours is actually pretty civil but most of the others you would immediately say no clearly <laughs> right because the people do not constructively converse but almost no one does on the internet mm -hmm. um but I, I that aside i think one of the issues uh fundamental issues with this is that because there are similarities and because there are principles from how aikido is practiced that carry over for conflict resolution mm 
a lot of people think that that means you're learning conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there are principles that can be applied that you learn doing Aikido and it can be useful, but there's also a lot that's missing. Sure. You have an example, uh, like a tangible example at the tip of your tongue. That sure, like a, a tangible example is so for if I learned that um, to resolve a conflict, one of the things I need to do is reframe things that people are saying into a more constructive framework, into something more constructive that leads towards a solution. That's something that if, if you as an Aikidoka, you hear this, you have a clear parallel. Oh, this is like when someone is attacking me and I turn it into, you know, use their energy against them type of thing. But just because you practice an Aikido move that does that doesn't mean you get the conversational skills to also do that in conversation. Does that make yeah, sense? You know, the parallel that jumps to mind for me was uh, when I was initially introduced to Tenkan, you know, mm. turning Tenkan, the principle that you're talking about was you turn to look at the world the way uke is viewing it mm -hmm. you're going from them facing you and you facing them which is a confrontational posture into more of a cooperative posture by viewing the world kind of through their eyes and i i agree with you you can get that turning step all day long and still have in the mind of i'm gonna throw your your ass to the ground in about a second it doesn't really allow your mind to shift and reframe in your brain their thought processes around that the physical part. So th there is a there is a physical to mental parallel, but I agree with you that just learning that step won't make you in a conversation, for example, not be drawn into an argumentative type of a tone when somebody provokes you or you feel you're being provoked and you want to provoke them back. Um, it it can, but I I don't. I've never seen any any instructor really go into the all right. Well, here's how the verbal part would go, or here's how that would look from a verbal exchange type of a type of a thing. It's physical, and then you can piece together the mental if you want to do that. Right, and that's that's something that. So let's take this first of all. The, the positive one thing that Aikido does do well, even though it's embodiment has become a bit of a buzzword, mm -hmm. but it is a thing doing the like it's much better to actually use your body to do something in a particular way, following particular principles of philosophy to internalize them than just hearing about it or talking about it, right? That, that, that is a thing. Mm -hmm. And that way Aikido can help develop these attributes. But as you were saying, there's specific skills that go over to learning through it in a conversation. And those are very rarely addressed in training, partly because a lot of instructors can legitimately say that's outside the scope of what I'm doing. That's fine. But if you're making the claim, then you have to be very careful how you make that claim, because just because there is some similarity, it doesn't mean you're learning the other thing as well. And I think that that's a mistake that sometimes mistake that's a bias that more experienced instructors have is that when you internalize certain principles, and you start to see them everywhere, you start to think that just learning the principle is enough. And that's very rarely the case. Sure. Like learning the principle helps you apply it to lots of different situations, but you do still need to have some context for other situations and specific skills that are applied. And I think that the parallel to the, uh, to the verbal or the non-physical exchange is just like the physical. If you understand the principle and you don't practice it, 
you, it will be rough. And, you know, even a, even a, just a verbal argument can be very emotionally charged and you will forget under that stress. And usually it occurs to you once you're, once you are away from it, it's over, you calm down and you go, Oh, why did I engage in that? I should have followed the principles. You only, it only occurs to you after the fact, which that's the point of training is you don't, it doesn't occur to you after it's over. It occurs to you while you're doing it or as it's, as it's amping up or leading up. Well, absolutely. And I mean, many more of us, including people that practice martial arts or Aikido, we're, like, not everyone is going to get into a fight in their lives mm -hmm. or a serious one, but pretty much everyone is going to get into a verbal argument that gets bad enough that things get emotional and you mm -hmm. act in a way that's maybe not ideal. Mm -hmm. And that's... Um, a lot of there's a lot of really good communications programs out there that fail because of that because you get into the situation and you forget that you know you have all these things that you could do you just you know you, you get all emotional and you start getting all angry or whatever and you don't you don't say the good things i mean it happens to everyone like it 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 happens to me i, I teach de-escalation it happens to me like it happens to absolutely everybody but the idea is that the first thing you do is you know you de-escalate yourself and then you can use all of these things, but you hit it perfectly. You need to practice them. Like that's the other thing is, you know, talking about these verbal skills and conflict resolution is a lot better than not doing anything, but it's not enough. It's so not enough. Like you, you need to practice these things in training if you're going to address them, whether that's because, you know, as you said, a lot of people say it's for self-defense. Well, if it's for self-defense, you really need to address this, like boundary setting and de-escalation. And these are huge topics. And you need to address it, you need to practice it, even if it's not, if you're saying we're going to teach you conflict resolution, well, you better make some time in your actual training where people can practice that, you know, sure. and that I have very rarely seen. Yeah, and, and it's, it's difficult to do because just like on the mat, uh, if you say, well, all right, I want to train for a high intensity fight, like somebody's really attacking me. Well, you know, if you're dealing with a training partner, there are certain there's a certain falsehood there where they don't really want to hurt you. They want to pretend like they want to hurt you. And then you can train to, to that level. And I think the same thing goes with verbal exchanges. I mean, yes, you can engage in debate or you can say, well, let's play that you and I are going to argue and I'll say something provocative to you. But as soon as you know, it's an exercise, you know, it's, there's a lack of that emotional content that there. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I noticed when I was making the parallels between uh, Randori and perhaps even getting into an argument with, with a single person or with multiple people, because that can happen too, you know, multiple person arguments. The thing that I noticed is that on the mat, we have the beauty of Hajime. You're notified that you're beginning. And in real life, you'll just suddenly realize Oh my gosh, I've I've just been provoked, or or somebody has said something insulting or rude or stupid, and you know your emotion kind of takes you away. And by the in, within seconds, it started, but you never got the notification of it. Like you get surprised by by the beginning, um, and you know then getting it, getting your composure back, and then sticking to principles. I I, I equate that to, you know, a, a somebody slaps you or they they start a physical fight with you like an ambush and suddenly you're in the middle of it and now you got to deal with it mm -hmm. and um and i think spotting those the first step is spotting those provocations 
and having a, a level of discipline not to engage emotionally right off the bat. Because if you do that, I mean, it's you're going right up the escalation ladder pretty quick. And it's easier to avoid getting on the ladder in the first place than it is climbing back down from it once it's once you're going up. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a huge skill set to all of this, but one of the things is not getting hooked when the other people say something. Often not like a lot of it isn't intended provocation, just when people are angry or annoyed, maybe mm -hmm. even legitimately, they say things that end up engaging you in a way that maybe you don't want to. Sure. And just taking a moment, like one of the easiest things that you can do, you know, learning active listening is one of the most effective things that you can do, A, because people love being properly listened to, mm -hmm. and B, because one of the things that happens in it is that you learn to take a pause after what the other person said mm -hmm. and think about your response. Right. And that's, it's a lot easier when you do that, not to get immediately hooked by things that would maybe otherwise draw you in, sometimes unnecessarily. You know, and I'm glad you brought that point up because it occurs to me too that, and this is the big difference between the, the physical and the verbal. In the verbal exchange, when somebody, and maybe they don't even point what they said at you, they just said something that you vehemently disagree with. In that, in the verbal realm, you can just sit there and shut up and let them speak and you don't have to take any action at all and you will avoid the escalation ladder. The physical side is the opposite. If somebody does come and grab you or try to strike you, if you sit and do nothing, you will be vulnerable. You have to take positive action to evade or somehow not be in front of the steamroller when it comes rolling over you. And so this is where I see that, although they, we often say there's a, there's a distinct parallel between the physical and the, and the verbal or the non-physical, in this case, they're opposite. Well, I think that there can be parallels, but it's just that the situation where someone puts hands on you and the best thing is to do nothing is a lot rarer. Mm -hmm. Like one example might be if you're drunk and you're being an ass in the bar and the bouncer is putting his hand behind your elbow and escorting you out, this might right. be not be a good time to, mm -hmm. you know, go all, I know Kung Fu, you know? Um, <laughs> so that happens, but that's rarer. It's, it's mm -hmm. much more of a, you know, you, you need to do your threat assessment and you do the same thing with verbal. It's just that, verbal situations are less likely to escalate it is still possible the person is escalating themselves and it's necessary to do a verbal intervention early and again that's a skill that needs to be taught right. how do you do a verbal intervention how do you see when that's not going to work and they're working themselves up to attack and you need to use this time to intervene physically mm -hmm. and do you know if that's legal where you are you know that's the other thing so it, it gets into quite a lot of complicated things and mm -hmm. one of the things you said earlier i think was a really good point that when you practice this in class, it can be really artificial and you need to be kind of careful with that because if nothing else, most people aren't very good actors, right? So it's, it's in some ways easier to train an uke than to train someone to be an actor in that situation, right. you know, especially if you use limited time on it. So mm -hmm. I personally would suggest keeping any role playing that you do very simple. You know, it's, it's not complicated to do something like having someone you know, do the monkey dance start of challenging you and just being like, oh man, I, I'm sorry. I was just, you know, I was just staring into space. I had a long day. Let me buy you a beer. Mm -hmm. You know, actually running through that a couple of times is a lot simpler than coming up with this elaborate storyline of, you know, <laughs> giving everyone like a three page backstory and I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean? It's, it's good to keep it simple because one of the great things about verbal skills is 
um, you know, for physical, we always we have this issue where we practice something in class that for the most part, we don't regularly use in the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. So the class needs to be both where we learn it and where we practice it and refine it for the most part, right? Um, with verbal skills, it's a little bit different. Class needs to be primarily where we learn the skills because we can, we, we talk to people every day. I mean, even now when some of us are kind of being hermits, we're sort of coming out of that, we still talk to people every day. And so we get the chance to learn the skills in class, practice them a little bit at quite a low level. You know, that, that's, that's all you need to get started. And then you go and you use it in your daily life. And I think actually that's where one of the parallels with why Aikido's marketers conflict resolution comes from is because there are people who take the philosophy and the principles and they carry it into their daily lives and they've adapted it to the conflict resolution. It's just that that's more to do with them as individuals rather than with anything that's really taught in class, right? But you see what I mean with the verbal skills, you, you can and should go and practice. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you. In fact, the, the world is, is ripe with opportunities to practice because I think everybody or most people have got that friend or relative that they have their hot topic with. And if that topic gets brought up, things get dicey. And yeah. you can view this as uh, kind of the, you know, the equivalent of people say, well, how would you, how would you test your martial art? How do you know if your martial arts any good? Well, go, go pick a fight with somebody and find out if it works or not, which is kind of stupid, actually, if you do that, although there are, you know, some notable examples of people that did that. I, I never recall Gozo Shiota was, was big on that. <laughs> yeah, um, so there's a certain amount of validity to that pressure testing. But I think in, in normal life, you could say, well, you know, let's say with my brother, if I ever bring up the, the topic of the car, I loaned him and he crashed it, and we all always get into an argument, maybe mm -hmm. we can bring, uh, maybe I can find a way to have that discussion and, and put the whole issue to bed, like have it not be a wound, uh, an open wound that if it ever comes up, it's always, you know, there's tension there. Um, that could be your go test or your ability to, how about you, rather than every single time before when you brought the topic up, you handle it in a confrontational way, you try to handle it in a different way and say, all right, this is basically my practice. It's a real situation, but yeah. would be a way to, to, to find a, a maybe a non-conventional manner of discussing it and putting the matter to bed. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like everything else, you know, you don't like learn the skill a little bit in class or wherever, and then you go and pick like the biggest hot topic trigger argument in your family right. to right. have a discussion, right? Mm -hmm. You, you know, you practice in small ways. And the cool thing with verbal skills is you can practice them in normal conversations that aren't arguments. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can, and then you can kind of, an opportunity will come along, I guarantee. Like I, the, the self de-escalation sort of kata that I learned, mm -hmm. I knew it. I didn't fully trust it until I was having a screaming match with a family member. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking like they're being such an, if only, you know, like you said, if only they were nicer about it. And, <laughs> and then I went, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm the problem and I'm going to run through this kata you know, which is take a deep breath, you know, mm -hmm. okay, say the words, you know, I'm sorry, I realize you're triggered, say the words, I'm sorry, I was starting to get emotional for some reason, let's go back to the topic. Mm -hmm. And it just calmed the whole thing down like this. Sure. And since then, like the part of my brain that's responsible for this goes, hey, this works, 
right? It's the same with, you know, when you use your martial skills under stress, your brain goes, oh, look, this is actually real. Like it's the same with this stuff, you know, but you don't need to go look for those opportunities. I think, of course, if you've been avoiding a certain topic for some time, maybe after you've improved your skills is a good time to bring it up. And I love what you said with the, you know, maybe every other time I did this, um, I tell a personal story. Um, uh, my wife, then my girlfriend and me, we spent a couple of years living in different countries while we were together. So we'd go visit regularly. And every time the first couple of days would be kind of tense, like the first two days or so. And it took us a little while to figure out that the arguments we were having weren't about the things we we're having the arguments over. They were just things that happens when one person comes into another person's living space and the routine gets a bit changed. And we were just like, hey, is like we just started saying, hey, is this what's happening right now? Are we having this tension? Yes. Oh, okay then. You know, and then we'd still feel it, but we wouldn't have to engage in that way. So reframing things that you've maybe gone through before is one really big component. Sure. You know, and I find too that <clears throat> as two people, uh, and we'll just use two people as the example, once you dig down below the, the, the small details and you, you try to find where are we fundamentally different, generally you find people are usually the same. They really don't want to harm another person. They really don't want to, uh, you know, th those, those really deep rooted beliefs one to the other. Usually the disagreements happen in within the details, maybe the way you perceive something, you have different, slightly different information than I do. At, underneath, we would agree on almost everything, but those small details are different. And that's what we decide to engage an argument on. And it can be one of those things where if you get so, absor so absorbed in what those tiny details are, and you just want to prove that you're right and, and that I'm wrong or vice versa, that you'll skip by all the stuff that you would have agreement on. And granted, this is kind of a large scale thing, like with somebody you're related to, or that you know, as opposed to you know, an argument with with somebody you you don't know very well. Although I have noticed just in throughout my life, you're far more likely to get into an argument with somebody you know pretty well than just a complete stranger. Because even if they even a complete stranger says something stupid, you're like, ah, who cares? I'm not going to see this person again. It's no big deal. And you know, unless you're so highly charged that anybody says anything and you just go right into you know high emotion mode. Right. And we have social rules around that. Right. So like you have the closer, you know, you know somebody or you spend time with somebody, there are different rules around what kind of arguments it's acceptable to have in our society. And that, that might change if you're in different places and it might change based on the specific nature of the social relationship and things like that. So there, there is always a context. And that kind of takes me back to the initial question with does Aikido help you with conflict resolution? Well, Maybe, but one of the things that's often missing is the context, right? right? Just because you have a parallel to those skills, if if you're not learning about the context around it, for starters, your brain doesn't go, oh, this is where I use it when it actually happens, mm -hmm. right? Again, there's a parallel to self-defense, but it's it's the same with conflict resolution. Like you might, you know, I move harmoniously with my partner and get into your know, Henko and get into their perspective and et cetera, et cetera. And if you never, if that bridge is never made for you, unless you do it yourself, which some people do, but that's not the same as teaching. You know, if someone learns it despite what's in class, not because of, that's not teaching. Um, but if that bridge isn't made for you, you might not make the connection that you can do the same thing in a conflict resolution situation. Sure. 
you know, one of the parallels that I that I have shown my students, and because this shown on, it was a big light bulb moment for me, uh, was when you initially, and I was initially taught this way, where when somebody grabs you, your inst instinct is to pull away from the force of them pulling you. And that instinct, I think, is exactly the same. This is one of the parallels where when somebody makes a statement you disagree with, your instinct says, nope, you're wrong. Here's here's what the real truth is. And that's that's the verbal parallel of yep. or the push either way. And to realize that there's another way to 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 deal with it than than just oppose the force, I think is probably the first opening of the door to you know another like the verbal skills or the negotiating skills that mm -hmm. you talk about. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that for people that are interested in this, and this is something that that I found tremendously beneficial is looking into both um, conversation, uh, debating skills, as well as negotiation. Um, mm -hmm. Because, and, and for those looking into negotiations, there's uh, what I found, um, there are helpful books on it, and there are non-helpful books on, the, on negotiating skills. Um, and this is just my opinion. I'm not going to say this is categorical fact, but there are negotiating uh, books and, and authors who will say your goal is to is to win and it doesn't matter what happens to the other party you're negotiating with. Like, you know, you just have to have what you have to win at all costs. And I think that uh, one of the perfect examples of this was a book. I think it's called uh, Don't Split the Difference uh, by uh, Voss. I can't remember his first name. Yeah. And he is a uh, very famous FBI uh, hostage negotiator. And you know, I read I read his book, and and it was very intriguing and engaging. But also to realize he was in a, in a negotiation that he could not lose. If he lost that, somebody would die. So things like deception, uh, manipulation, were on the table because you're you're fighting for somebody's life. Um, Whereas if you if you viewed of taking that that same stance with like a business negotiation or relationship negotiation, Voss doesn't care about about the the the, uh, the kidnappers after they get after he gets the hostage back. There's there's no concern that that relationship needs to be healthy further on or in a business that that uh, they're going to do business again with these with these kidnappers. Whereas in real life, we do have that consideration. You wouldn't want to negotiate like that with your wife or your kids or your, uh, you know, people that are you care about. Um, and not to say that there aren't some some good things to learn in there, but I the negotiation material that I really liked a lot was when you go into a negotiation and you're trying to find a win for everybody involved. Like everybody is happy when they walk away, mm -hmm. and I think that that fits more into the civilian type of a of a model for how normal people would want to learn to resolve their conflict. Um, and the same way with, with mediation, the, a mediator wants to make sure that everybody who walks away is, is at least happy that with the compromise that they found because it's the best way out for everybody. Well, I think uh, you touched on a really good point there, which is, you know, same way that we have a spectrum of force when we talk about physical violence. We also have a spectrum with conflict resolution, mm -hmm. right? And there's different things, like, as you said, most people, and this is sort of a, a 
nitpick with the term, but like compromise is usually something neither party is fully happy with. Ideally, you have a cooperation where the end result is better for both parties than what they thought they could get, right? That's ideal. That's not always possible. And for people to practice martial arts, you know, we, we tend to frame everything in the context of I'm protecting myself, I'm defending myself. And yes, there are conflicts, including verbal ones there, where your goals and those of the other party are completely incompatible. Mm -hmm. And your what matters is that you resolve the situation in a way that works for you. Mm -hmm. But that's different than dealing with people you actually have a relationship with. Like one example, this is this is a pet peeve of mine. One big topic when we're talking verbal skills for self-defense is boundary setting. Right. You know, it's huge. a huge topic, super important for self-defense, um, especially when you're doing stuff with younger people, like super important, really helpful. A lot of places teach it as kind of only the get the fuck away from me, you know, kind of channeling your anger and like, which is great for self-defense situations sometimes. Not great when you need to set a boundary with someone you work with or with someone you have a relationship with or someone who's your friend. You know, it's there's again, this is a, a disregard for the for a spectrum. You're learning a technique for one specific part and not adapting it. The same way what you said, Chris Voss's book, of course, he's coming from a particular background and it's important to take that into account, as you did, as you said, you know, this is where he's coming from. What can I learn from this? How does this and does this not apply to what I'm doing or what I need to be doing? You know, and it's it, it, that's incredibly important because. There, there are different things. There are conflicts where the resolution is something that at the very least, I want to see if we can still have some kind of relationship. And I mean relationship in a general sense, like business, friendship, romantic, whatever. You know, I want to do this resolution so that we can see if we can find a common ground that we can move forward. Or are we going to, as amicably as possible, just kind of drift apart? Right. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up the boundary setting because that occurred to me about a moment before you said it. And I'm like, okay, this is a boundary setting is always a huge one. And that boundary, you know, from a physical standpoint might be, will you accept somebody putting their hand, setting their hand on you as they talk to you? Yeah. Could be, am I willing to give up the money I have in my pocket rather than get into a physical altercation? And the answer might be, I'm fine with it. But it's the, what happens if it's not? You know, another boundary might be, would you be willing if somebody says, get into that car? Would you be willing to say, all right, I'll, I'll just do that. And, and this is my pet peeve with a lot of the, um, the, the attitudes within the Aikido realm of, well, just, just give in, just be a nicer person and, and don't resist. Basically the pacifist thing, which is, it's fine if you're carrying around, you know, 40 bucks in your, in your wallet and you say, I'd rather give up 40 bucks than get into a fight with you. Totally legit. And I've done that myself, actually. Um, but there are times when I don't accept somebody crossing that boundary. I would not get into somebody, into a stranger's car. Um, whether somebody puts a hand on you, that you have to make your, your judgment about whether or not that boundary is, is there. Somebody puts a hand on my wife, different boundary. Um, and it, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, the having to, to internalize how you how much you would put up with and then what are you going to do if if your boundary is not respected if you say no i'd rather you not touch me and somebody touches you now what are you willing to do and it doesn't mean go all kung fu on them uh necessarily it 
And that's where it's, it's so difficult to teach a, some kind of a solid formula. If somebody puts their hand on you and you tell them no, then this is what you do, kind of a response. Life just is not that simple where you can have a formula. You have to take into account where you are, who else is around, all kinds of other factors. Yeah. I mean, you, like the, the formula approach, we agree 100% on that. That's a problem. Like sometimes there's certain things that you can do as impulses to mm -hmm. just give people some guidance, kind of like you do techniques to illustrate principles. Mm -hmm. But overall, you're better off giving people tools and having them exercise judgment and practice that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and like boundary setting, yeah, it's, it's a huge one. A lot of the time, it's not super clear. The, the example with the, the wallet, I always say, look, if somebody marks me for my wallet, they can have it. Mm -hmm. Like, but if the money that was in my wallet was the only thing that was going to be feeding my kids this month, right? This equation would change. Mm -hmm. I'm not in that situation, so I can just I can give that up. It would be a hassle. I have to replace some things. I'll be annoyed, but I can give that up. But that situation might, you know, might be quite different. And with the the what you said with the what am I willing to do with the enforcement? So that's another one where. I think we could do better with teaching conflict resolution and such skills in Aikido and verbal skills because there's a huge spectrum beyond I'm going to hit them or I'm going to get physical with them or I'm going to run away. There's a considerable spectrum of things that you can do for enforcement in different situations and giving people tools to be aware of that, to access that um, is, is huge. I, I, I teach self-defense at uh, universities sometimes and that's one of the, that's one of, if you read survivor stories from that environment, that's one of the biggest things is, you know, I didn't know how to say no, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know what to say. And so actually teaching those skills is hugely important and making people realize that there's a huge spectrum of responses that they have access to. There's social reasons, you can call someone, there's resources you can access, whether that's law, or law enforcement, whether that's a trusted friend, whether that's the person who's in charge of your hall of residence you know you can leave that's one of the most effective you know you can hang up the phone if you're talking to someone if this is a boundary that's happening boundary violation that's happening while on the phone if you're working somewhere do you call hr do you do something else you know that and what do you do in advance to make sure that you have access to these resources that you have a strong support network that there's a like it's a deep topic and to get back to the original thing i think one of the problems with saying that Aikido teaches you conflict resolution is that without going into that depth, it's a lot, there's a lot of lip service. Just because as an instructor, you know, you once every couple of months hold a small monologue about conflict resolution and let's all be nice to each other. And, you know, maybe I'm using a bit of a straw man, but just talking about it is not the same as going into that, that level of depth and you should know that that's not what you're doing and your students should know that that's not what you're doing. And you, you can say that, you can say that we're just touching the surface of this topic. You know, you should go somewhere else to learn that. That's, nobody's gonna run away from you. You know, you, you will increase the trust of your students by being clear about what you are and aren't doing. It is in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and it's fine to say it's beyond the scope of what, what, what we're training, but it's strongly related. So. Uh, and I think any intelligent mind can appreciate that what they're training on the mat is not an isolated <clears throat> set of skills. It, it branches out to affect many ways you deal with this. In fact, 
Um, one of the ones I, I had just had a student tell me about this a few months ago that he and his daughter were out biking and, you know, he, they were, they had stopped for some water. So they're standing next to their bikes <clears throat> and this guy approaches them and says, Hey, I'm lost. Can I, I need, I need directions to the, I don't know, some park building or something. And he said, the way that we were situated, I knew where the building was and it was behind me, but he said, I knew because of how we trained that if I turn around a point, he's standing behind me. And I don't want him out of my sight. So he said, all I did was kind of step aside. And I said, okay, the, the building is you just follow this road up here. But he said, I always kept him in front of me. And it wasn't so much a, it was like the, about the lowest level conflict resolution. But really what it was is not much of a, as much of a conflict resolution as it was a, there was something about this guy that was not, didn't seem quite right. Like there was an instinctual thing. It was the easiest way to solve that problem and not let it, get to be a, a potentially out of control thing. It, it's lowering your risk, right? I guess risk management would be how you define that. Yeah. And I, I would, I, you know, I told him, I said, you basically did a very smart move and keeping, if you looked at it as a negotiation, you made it pretty difficult for him to take it any other way than just, I'm looking for directions. Because mm -hmm. um, this is how people that are intending to do harm will often approach somebody in a way that's disarming. It looks like they're just doing normal things. And because, you know, I told him about that and that, you know, he said he suddenly re recognized and was able to keep his head. He didn't panic. And he said, okay, I'm just going to make sure that this is on the up and up and we're not, there's no, no issue here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think those are real, the real life practice type situations that, that, you know, might, might only take five seconds, but you made good, a good choice there where a normal person may have made a poor choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> real life gives you lots of opportunities. Like if you want to practice boundary setting, one of the simplest, easiest ways to start is when you're, you know, walking around when people offer you samples mm -hmm. or on the street, they ask you for their and newspaper, they want you to donate. Yeah. Like, actually say no thank you instead of pretending you don't see them you know actually say no thanks i'm not interested you know and and practice not getting drawn into a discussion especially with the charities because they they often get given scripts to draw you in like really practicing that not having it turn into a discussion or negotiation like boundary is like no means no 101 you know it's no, yeah, it's funny you mention that because I know at least here, and I don't know if other countries have this, but we have it, you know, grocery stores, a lot of times they'll say, you know, you'll buy $5 and 85 cents worth and say, do you want to round that up to $6 and we'll give that to charity or, or, and I think they have a, a certain amount of success with that because people will be like, well, I don't want to say no, or I don't want to feel like a bad person for saying no, thank you politely. So those little tests, like you just said, are, are a good yeah, yeah tiny little way to, to practice saying, you know, politely, no thanks, or, or, I mean, if you do want to donate, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but don't let it be something that somebody pushes onto you and you just do it because you're uncomfortable. Yeah. That, that's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. Cause like it doesn't, you're not the bad person. You, you can do it to practice. You can do it once or twice. You can donate next time, but mm -hmm. make it a choice. Mm -hmm. And one thing, and this is, I, I'm a big fan of doing exercises outside the dojo. And when you do that, so one thing to watch out for is you will notice that internal feeling of, can I really do this? Like that glitch, you right. know, it's the same one you get. There's an exercise I, I like for like awareness practice where you 
walk around and when you see a certain thing, you do a specific action, for example, doing a squat. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you start doing that, you start to feel really weird because you're doing a squat in the middle of the street, right? And some people look at you funny. And noticing that glitch is really useful because that's the same glitch that's, you know, that's telling your mind, should we be doing this or not? Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing that's going to stop you from acting in mm-hmm. some situations because you feel socially weird. So noticing that being aware of what it is and teaching yourself that you can act despite of that is incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the, the things I remember when, you know, back when things were more open, but it happens with, with crowds all the time, is you get two people that walk directly at each other and you, they mm-hmm. both start to go off the line the same way and they kind of do this weird little yeah. dance. Long ago, I, I was like, there's got to be a better way. And I started practicing. I just walk straight forward. If somebody mm-hmm. walked towards me, I wouldn't start dancing around. I just stop and I'd let them choose which way that they wanted to go. Um, but another one I think that would be even a, a better one is, and I, I think uh, this has probably happened to everybody, where they go out to a restaurant, they order their meal, it comes and there's something wrong with it. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fries are cold, something is really cruddy. Do they just say, well, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say anything because they, they don't want to get into that awkward mm-hmm. exchange of saying, excuse me, but this sucks, or something's wrong, or you brought the wrong meal or yeah. something wrong with a drink, something wrong with food uh, for fear that it might get kind of out of control. You know, mm-hmm. they might upset the server or upset the restaurant or something. Mm-hmm. But but I think that that's a good one of those boundaries of, you know, you're paying for this meal. Do you want to get something decent? And I'm not tar- talking turning into a obnoxious jerk about it and, mm-hmm. you know, having to have everything exactly perfect and, and be a pain. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things where I've seen many people and I felt this to myself, like, is this just worth getting into? You know, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes you say, well, no, it's not. Or, yeah, I would rather have a decent meal, not what I was mm-hmm. served. Um, so that can be one of those practice moments as well. Um, yeah, and, and two things on that. Like the, the first one is that, you know, it, obviously, like you said, don't don't go into a restaurant, get a perfectly good food and then do this just so that you can. Exactly. You, know, yep. you, you can be polite about it. Um, you can even start if, if you're really uncomfortable with this. If somebody listening is really uncomfortable, you can start by just pointing out to the server, you know, the thing that was like, um, sorry, the, these fries are a little bit cold, like I'm OK to eat them, but just maybe tell them next time. More sure. often than not, they'll insist on getting you something new anyway. But you can start like that and you can build it up towards actually asking for you know getting a new plate or whatever it is um and the the other thing is that and this is um you know because we're talking about teaching this in a martial arts context Mm -hmm. if you're even thinking about teaching it like putting these things into your training please actually start doing them there is nothing that destroys trust more than being told to do a certain thing by someone who's not doing it himself That's true. This is a very good reason. If as a martial arts instructor, you're not comfortable sending food back or saying no to people, it's really hard to, you know, you don't have to be naturally comfortable at it. Mm -hmm. Few people are, I'm not, I had to learn it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can say this is uncomfortable for me, but I've learned to do this and this is what I do. And you're human, you don't have to do it consistently, but at least be honest with your students. Don't pretend like you're doing this all the time, you know? It drives me up a wall when you have instructors who are, you know, waxing poetically to their students about always having strong boundaries, et cetera. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they 
can't say no when someone offers them horrible vegan bacon, you know, made of tofu. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's, it's, you, you need to actually put these things into practice mm-hmm. um, yourself. And that's a part of, a part of teaching is model behavior. How are your boundaries in the dojo? Are you able to actually, do you, can your students see you having strong boundaries, setting them in a way that's not aggressive, that's not confrontational, but that's firm? You know, can your students see you resolve conflict constructively, which is, you know, when you're looking at does Aikido help you with conflict resolution, if you read the, you know, Stanley Pradden had that wonderful book with the interviews with the Aikido masters, you know, if you read that, if you look at what happened to the Aikikai after our sensei died, these people involved were not masters of conflict resolution, clearly. That's an excellent they, point. They, they clearly were not. So, you know, just because it's in the marketing, like it might be in the philosophy, but that doesn't mean everybody accessed it. Of course, there's cultural differences, etc. But, mm-hmm. you know, like walk the walk if you can. Right. You know, and, and I the parallel I see is the, is the balance between Irimi and, and Tenkan. The, uh, and Irimi to me is engaging. It's like you talked about the shock of when somebody gets uh, approached and they don't know how to respond and they kind of vapor lock. They, they aren't sure what to say or what to, how to engage. Um, and they're not able to even think through like, how, do I need to evade or what, what, how, how do I do this? As opposed to saying, okay, you approach me with some sales pitch and I say, well, you know, I, I appreciate this. I might be interested in, but, but I, here's what I would need for you to make this work for me. And now I've engaged you. I'm going to ask you questions or I'm going to sort this out or, or just put the, the hard brakes on and say, you know, what you're offering me is way outside of what I'm interested in. And mm-hmm. I thank you for, you know, the time, but I need to get going with, but that's the Arimi part. That's the engagement, yeah. whether it's all right, we need to negotiate a, a complicated issue or it's no, I don't want to buy your, your, your banana or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Both are are Irimi. And I think that, you know, as I <clears throat> would look at the physical, where within technique, even if you use Tenkan and turning and evasion, you really only resolve that confrontation when the Irimi comes in to play. And I found the same thing held true for the verbal. It's it's difficult, and it's still possible, but it's much easier to end somebody's harassment of you or their their engagement with you if you engage with them and just say um we're done this is over now as opposed to not calling people back or you know they can badge especially salespeople. i find salespeople probably the best practice for dealing with <laughs> remaining patient calm setting boundaries enforcing them because salespeople, a lot of them they don't care about your boundaries they'll email you they'll call you they'll badger you they'll get in your face they'll put on and if anybody's ever dealt with the high pressure sales pitch in person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, years ago, I had um, uh, a, a woman sales, a saleswoman come in uh, to my to my dojo. My wife was there. We, we shared the, our business and and she gave us both a very high pressure sales pitch and it lasted over an hour. And it was so exhausting that this woman looked like she just ran a marathon. She was you know laid back in her chair and she was trying to breathe. And it felt like a randori. This woman was just here. Here's what I want to sell you, and and you know, here's why it's so great. And we couldn't get a word in edgewise. It was just yeah, 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 yeah. So I think if you, anybody wants to practice, find find an assertive salesperson and talk with them. <laughs> you probably won't have to go far to find one. No, 
I mean, I so there's different things that, that are great for practicing at different levels, different conversations that you can have. Um, customer service is great. Like, mm -hmm. how good are you with dealing with customer service and can you do it in different ways? Because mm -hmm. like one of the a pattern that some people have observed um, is that, you know, if you're nice, sometimes the customer service person is grumpy if you're making a complaint. And mm -hmm. if you're grumpy, they are friendly. So that's something to play with. Personally, now, because I'm confident in my ability to code switch to something more assertive, usually before I call customer service, I mentally tell myself, I'm going to be the friendliest, nicest experience they have today. Mm -hmm. And that usually works for me, but sometimes you have to code switch then. Like you, sure. when you develop skills, you also have the ability to, you know, change levels of force, the same thing with physical. Like sure. we can do this the easy way or the hard way type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, same with Tenkan and Rimi, we can like pivot around the issue and we can decide to go our separate ways or talk about different things or agree mm -hmm. to disagree, or we cannot, but then we're going to do this more directly. Sure. You know? And, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of tools, and and I, like we said earlier, I think there are physical parallels, but I think that that there are differences too that are that are no, noteworthy. Um, and I and I like encouraging you know my students to realize when, and the first thing is spotting when those those initial ripples of conflict start to come up, and to the because the, the sooner you see it, just like with a physical attack, the sooner you see it and acknowledge it and realize you're 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 becoming in jeopardy the easier it is to to elegantly na navigate through it um you know and and the i think as we get back to is aikido does it teach this a conflict resolution if the approach is merely to be a nice person all the time and don't be a jerk and then leave if you're you're getting some kind of a conflict i think that that's a very uh simplest overly simplistic and not very good uh formula you really can't claim you're you're become, you're creating people that are adept at handling conflict resolution if that's the bulk of your strategy yeah 100 and like what you, you you've been kind of alluding through throughout that there are really good physical parallels right and that has a strong teaching effect you know the embodiment thing also one of the advantages of martial arts as martial arts as opposed to just like oh we took the bits of each system and put them together into something like martial arts is that they're well integrated mm -hmm. and aikido because of the marketing because of the way the physical stuff works because of the philosophy is well placed to integrate these skills if you actually practice them but you, you do need to practice them but it is well integrated uh, well set up to integrate them with your physical practice right and on the other hand, then, though, the physical practice has to reflect the realities of conflict as well. Like, as you said, if you're just nice and passive all the time, also, if you do your physical stuff, just nice, you know, people just fall over. If you look at them funny, you, know, you, mm -hmm. you do get that some places. That's not conflict resolution. Neither is like, you know, you smashing your partner's head through the mats every time. And then you're telling people, you know, now go and spread peace into the world. You know, that doesn't work either. Uh, the same way that Aikido is like, has this physical element of you know i'm going to go with what you're doing i have options i have choices of am i going to do things nicely or not mm -hmm. and you know hopefully that gives you a spectrum of things to handle the same way that needs to be then reflected in your conflict resolution training and then you can like it can really help if you integrate the two but just like just doing the physical thing isn't going to give you those skills there's there's too many 
I want to say technical is not the right word, but there's too many technical elements to the verbal skills and the conversational stuff that you need to be able to have. Sure. I think another thing that that comes into play too is the, and this is the solidly in the physical, but it does have a parallel in the verbal is how do you handle power? Because either you have power and leverage over another person and in a negotiation that might mean that, you know, if nobody does anything, you get what you want. And now the other person is, is basically underpowered. But, you know, when we look at taking control of a person's body uh, and either, you know, pinning it or locking it up so that they can't use it, that's you, you applying power, your prowess or your leverage or whatever you want to call it. People often refer to strength, but it's not pure, just physical, you know, physical strength, but it's, the application of your skill that keeps them from being able to to operate and being able to do so benevolently and i've i think that that's an important key to realize you know from a physical standpoint you're dealing with somebody here who's now potentially dangerous and you need to take away their ability to inflict harm on you and that can take a number of different uh forms and i like that aikido tends to go after the, I'm going to control your body in a way that is, I can do it without actually causing you physical injury, mm -hmm. as opposed to others that, that that's the goal is I'm going to cause so much injury to your body that you will be incapable of, of harming me anymore. Um, of course, all, we, we all know that Aikido is capable of causing physical injury if we want it to, but I, I like that it doesn't, that's not the default. That's not mm -hmm. the first part. Um, and I think from the verbal side, you can you can get to that point where you know the the injury so to speak that you cause is not physical but you can cause enough you can threaten somebody to the point where the injury is they don't ever want to deal with you again you might get what you want or you might not if you like let's say i loan you my my lawnmower you have it in your garage i get upset i go over to give it back to you i start threatening you and you say you know what i'm keeping it if you want it you got to break into my house and then now now you know, you'll call the police and that's the conflict. Um, but you have the leverage there because you've got my lawnmower. So uh, things like that start being, okay, who has, who has the actual power within this, this exchange? And, you know, in such a case, I would have to try to be polite enough to you that makes you want to give me my lawnmower back. Um, and that would be the escalation. We say, well, I've got it. Why would I give it back to you? And now, now we go, you know, uh, up that, uh, that road. Um, but, but how far you're willing to apply your force is going to be up to the judgment of, you know, a, your personality, and then B, what does the situation justify? Um, you know, me breaking into your house, I don't think would be justified for that. Um, but th that's how, that's how, intricate and difficult these situations can be of, all right, what are you willing to do now, uh, you know, to result, to get a resolution? Um, yeah. So there, there are three things in there that I kind of want to highlight because the, you made some fantastic points. Like the first one with handling power. And I think this is something that sometimes we're not so good at in Aikido. Mm -hmm. If the training is too cooperative, like cooperative is great, mm -hmm. but we also need to, the same way that to do this physically, that the parallel needs to be, 
sometimes you have to actually deal with aggression or deal with someone being forceful. Doesn't mean you have to be forceful. And that's one of the really great parallels. And as you were saying, you know, sometimes I, I just have to be nice enough or polite enough to get them to do what I want. Sometimes, you know, if they're being aggressive, it doesn't mean I have to be too. And Aikido training can teach that too often though, sometimes people, they never experience the aggression in training. And this is always the ones who have the moral superiority, you know, of, oh, I would just end this without hurting them. And look, I, I have had a fight with someone where I was really trying not to hurt them, mostly because I said something before that would possibly have put the self-defense aspect in a little bit of doubt, right? It can be done. It's not ideal, mm -hmm. but uh, that's not what we want. But, you know, when people who never experience their partner is always like just you know, coming in and going with, and that's great, but that doesn't teach you to deal with aggression. Like, don't, don't think about that. And it's the same with the, with the social. Sometimes you just, you need to learn to deal with another person who is not being cooperative, at least not to start with. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things we have, this is application of soft power. You know, winning doesn't necessarily mean I need to make myself bigger and shout louder or, you know, intellectually debate them into the ground. Sometimes it just means I'll say what I need to say to get the resolution that I want. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's and the other thing that and this was a great one you alluded to with, you know, when you look at the higher levels of force verbal, it's not necessarily or for conflict resolution, rather, it's not necessarily just the things I say. It's also what actions am I willing to take? What resources am I willing to access mm -hmm. to resolve this conflict? Because, you know, a significant amount of violence or bad stuff happens with people that, you know, and sure. acquaintances or even closer. And one of the things that people do is they manipulate your social environment to stop you from accessing resources, or they make you think that it would be inappropriate to access certain resources or take certain actions. And one of the things that is a part of conflict resolution is realizing what options do I have on the table? Mm -hmm. You know, breaking into my garage might be inappropriate. Calling the police might be okay. Right. You know, or letting the neighbors know that this is what happened. Don't lend this guy anything. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I can't borrow anything else and maybe I'll change my mind. You know, um, these are like, there are things that you, you need to be aware of what the options are and you need to give yourself permission to use them if appropriate, the same way that you do with force options. So th this is actually a good parallel to Aikido, but again, your connection needs to be made, but this is a great parallel. There are social, there's a social spectrum of force. Absolutely. You know, this is also important when you're like, if you're teaching people about it i got a question at one course where someone asked why don't you just this was about um women at college being harassed by you know men drunk men usually banging on their door at night right mm -hmm. it's a really common setup to how bad things happen so i was we were talking about like what can we do and somebody asked you know why don't you just teach them to call the police and i said well i mean that's an option that's on the table but on the spectrum of social force that's pretty high up right like there are some things that might work before that have a chance of working, they're still keeping you safe and you can always escalate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that might be the most appropriate, but we need to not, as we said before, you know, it's not a one size fits all. We need to have a spectrum of options and we need to have, teach people the judgment to use those options and decide which to access. Sure. You know, and that's one of those things where the separation between using your head and using your heart, if you use your head, you can at least start to think, well, where is this gonna go? If I, if I take this next, you know, this next action that the other person may not like, and they, they're going to respond like, where is that headed? But whereas you re respond with your heart, like I break into your garage, 
you know, well, where's that going to go? I'll probably wind up getting arrested because that is breaking and entering. And I'm, I am going up, up the scale. Um, and the same thing would hold true even to speaking with the neighbors, you know, now, now you create more of a blast radius with the drama and, you know, the neighbors would view that you and I are in this conflict and they, they don't know who the, who's in the right necessarily They're, you know, so it can, that can ripple out as well. So that's like you said with, this is why there's just no hard formula, but there's principles. And I think the same thing holds true to preparing your, yourself as a martial artist for a physical altercation. There's no formula there either. All you have is the principles you prepare yourself and you try to make the best decisions under fire as you can. And that's, yeah. that, that's a strong parallel. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Like, yeah. And you know, what you said with the neighbors, this is also a really important point. Conflict resolution isn't just you and the person you're having a conflict with, especially if there's an established relationship, mm -hmm. it's everybody else. And some of the types of violence that people run into are especially long-term abuse situations or medium-term abuse situations. Mm -hmm. The perpetrator is really good at manipulating the environment to thinking the actual victim is the problem you know and this these, these perpetrators often hide in groups that you would think are safe because that's like self-defense clubs martial arts clubs it happens mm -hmm. um university societies that are actually supposed to protect vulnerable people yep. you know these are sometimes you get people hiding in these groups because if they're good enough at manipulation so the way to counter that is to also be good at managing your social environment realizing when this is happening making sure that you know you're nice to your neighbors because if this situation the hypothetical lawnmower situation were to happen if you'd been at snapping at every child that ran past your house being too loud for the last two years you know you telling the neighbors that i'm being a jerk isn't going to do very much right because that's not the reputation right mm -hmm. but if you've been super nice and you've always lent people things when they needed them and you've been very friendly etc this happens there's more of a chance that your side will be taken into account. So this is a this is a long term like social management is a part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is the same. This is very similar to what we might say a parallel in martial arts might be. You know, building my self defense, building my lifestyle to be relatively safe, mm -hmm. to be good, not just having techniques for when it goes wrong with martial arts, making sure that my body is able to do the movements, you know, mm -hmm. is, that I'm able to train without injury. This right. is the same thing with social skills, making sure that I have a social environment that I can go to for support, that I can manage in a way that makes conflicts resolvable. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And I, I in related to the to the ability, I think just like with martial ability or martial prowess, the more you practice these things and get confident with, okay, I can I can negotiate well enough. I I can keep my my own temperature level down so that when I go and talk to somebody and say, you know, what you're doing is, is I feel is inappropriate because it's inconveniencing me or it's, you know, whatever you're doing is, is intruding on my happiness. How are we going to resolve this as opposed to storming over to somebody? And this, this would give at least a little bit of legitimacy of the, the attitude of, well, don't be a jerk which I think is just good advice all the way around. You don't have to be a martial artist to take that, that advice to heart. Um, but to figure out that you have some negotiating skill and, and some tools to, to use effectively to resolve the whole situation and not just avoid a confrontation. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very popular. I know here in the Midwest and United States, 
confrontation is like nobody's comfortable with it. Um, I've lived in other areas where, you know, people are a little bit more, a little less shy about telling somebody, hey, you're being a jerk, stop it. And, you know, or, you know, get out of my house or whatever. Um, but I'm sure they're everywhere. There's, there's a certain hesitance to want to bring the bad news to somebody and say, hey, what you're doing is not cool. Whether it's what they're saying, what they're doing, um, but to be able to say, you know, hey, I want to have a, I want to have a good relationship here, and here's what needs to happen for for that to mm-hmm. to happen that way. And you're going to need to alter your behavior a little bit, or we're not going to be friends, or you know, because that that kind of is in the, you know, two roommates, for example, and and one always leaves dirty dishes in the kitchen. You know, simple stuff like that is perfect practice for how can yeah. I negotiate this into where everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah, and that that's that's one of those like one one of the bits that I'm still working on, but that's quite useful. Is when we go into a conflict, usually we have some idea in our heads of what we want the solution to be, mm-hmm. and a lot of the times it can be more constructive to go with hey so here's where we seem to be having a little bit of an issue let's look at what we can do about it for example the roommate situation almost everybody comes in with you need to start doing the dishes yep you know one thing might be hey do you want to go half season like one of those little table dishwasher things Mm -hmm. you know like thinking about what you act like being a bit open to alternative solutions is Mm -hmm. one of the really useful conflict skills and i think something that this is a personal bias. I like having martial arts practice with variability in it. Like I, for myself, I'm okay with having like, you know, like the standard repeated drill practice for a certain thing if I want to learn something, but I prefer having some variability and decision-making in these things and personal bias. I think that that also helps you with decision-making in other areas. If you, you know, it does. And, and I wanted to just jump in with this point too, that because I've, I've seen throughout my martial training, I've I've run across many instructors, and most of them will say that sort of thing is do it later, like later in your training, get to be an intermediate martial artist before you introduce that. Mm -hmm. And and I started challenging that and started putting that into my own yellow belt test with brand, Mm -hmm. you know, white belt students, because I don't think that that's an advanced skill. I think it's, it's one that the principles of it can be learned pretty quickly to use, a, a, have a certain amount of flexibility. And I think the longer you train without it, the, the harder it is to build it later because mm-hmm. it doesn't fit how you've trained for years. It should fit like right from the beginning. And you'll just like everything else, you'll be kind of clumsy at it initially. You don't want to add huge amounts of variables, but the introduction mm-hmm. that there are variables and that you can, you can use a flexible mind to spot them and deal with them can be taught at, or like in the begin from the beginning. I, I would agree with you. I know a few people who are really good martial artists who are of the opinion that you should do it later. Mm-hmm. And it seems to work for them. Sure. Personally, I agree with you more. I like to have this in the beginning. One thing to keep in mind, and this is something you hear sometimes if like keto in terms of self-defense skills is, oh, we'll do that after you get your black belt or a third down or whatever. Right. You, you just said it, like when you start, you will be clumsy. The thing is, if you start at third down, you will still be clumsy. Yep, exactly. Like you, you will have you. Won't, it won't be quite the same as a like someone who has no training, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be like linearly better. You're going to be clumsy in a different way. Right. Um, but it's it's if you wait to learn these things later, 
there, there's no like, you don't do other stuff before so that you get good at the thing you actually want to be good at when you start. That's not mm -hmm. how it works. Right. You will start getting better when you start actually doing it, is, mm -hmm. is my opinion. And everything I've seen, all the research I've read, all the experience I've seen suggests that. Again, mm -hmm. some people have different opinions. And when you talk to them in detail, as you were saying earlier, you actually find that most of their views are in common. There's just one or two differences where they train in a particular way that makes their method work. Mm -hmm. The same way that there are people who have, as you said, too much variability early and the students learn bad movement patterns and it's hard to work that out. Right. You know, and, and looking at a parallel in sport, imagine if you took a, an athlete and you train them like with soccer or with basketball and you did drills, nothing but drills for three or four years. And they're good at drills. They can ball handle like a monster. And then you say, okay, now, now you can go scrimmage. Now you can go actually play the game. They'd be so far behind with things like placement and the teamwork part that they'd, even though you know they have good physical skills, they wouldn't have that flexible part. So I think, like you said, those those skills will go in parallel together, and they can be built together. Uh, they don't yeah. get in each other's way as they do a bit. I mean, there's, and the thing that that I like about introducing Giawazas and the flexibility part of training is that it does develop a different part of the mind. And it will, if you have, you know, some decent ability to do technique, that flexibility will harm it a little bit, but you need to build strength of those two working together. And you only do that by, by, you know, the, the repetition hours, you know, do, do enough reps and, and, um, but I don't think that there's you're compromising the form enough to say don't do any free form stuff and and uh, you know or improv um, for the training part. I mean, it also depends on what your goal is, what your training goal is. If you're primarily just a pure martial artist and your goal is to recreate what you were taught mm -hmm. or what what kind of some ideal of martial arts with this historical recreation or something like that. Um, then yeah, I think that there's some merit to saying it harms the technique. But mm -hmm. I, I think if your goal is application, I don't think it does. Because one of the things you find when you do research on how high-level athletes perform their movements, they actually don't have that much less variability than uh, people who aren't at their level. What they do have less is outcome variability. They're able to do their movements in subtly different ways to adapt to the situation to get a consistent outcome right and if you are training in such a way and i'm using the extreme here that you're only allowed to do the input so the movements that you do the technique in a very particular way mm -hmm. you do not develop this ability in fact you, you mess with that ability yeah like I agree. there's some evidence that under stress you will regress to how you were originally taught even if it doesn't fit the situation mm -hmm. and this that can be a real problem so i think that variability if it's used well, and um, I love Ian Abernathy's saying of like good messy, bad messy, right? There's mm -hmm. good messy, which is, you know, you're doing a chaotic drill and there's a little bit of mess in it because of that. Mm -hmm. And there's bad, bad messy, which is you're just moving in a sloppy way. Right. You know, you, you, right. and you always, you have the option when you're doing variability, you can clean up afterwards. Mm -hmm. I can do a variable drill where a certain technique comes out. Right. For example, like one that, you know, back in the day when I had the dojo, we used to do is like, um, put on a face mask or something and do strikes to the face when arms come up to protect Ikiro. Okay. Those 
are especially initially not the cleanest EQOs in the world. Right. But you can do that drill and then you can go back to, okay, now let's do EQ and clean it up and then let's do that again. You know, that sort of thing. Like you can clean up after. So I think there's a, there, there are ways, like you said, to make sure that it doesn't interfere too much. Right. And, and not to be focused on what it looks like as much as does it work and does it work yeah. reliably under many different conditions. Um, and I think if anything, Aikido is a bit guilty of trying too hard to look gorgeous and not really worried about whether it's functionally, functionally, functionally uh, valid. Um, and, and I would point to even Hakama, the wearing of Hakama, which is a formal garment anyway, it's meant to, and they look good, I, nothing wrong with them. And when you see somebody getting thrown, the Hakama make it more dramatic looking. Yeah. Um, and, but the idea that, you know, you, you do a big throw on somebody in, in a real situation, it's, it's not easy to do. In fact, that's where I think judo's got the special because they use so many hip throws because that will get somebody up in the air and dump yeah. them. Fat, you yeah, know. judo wrestling like they they have us beat with that um mm -hmm. because most of our stuff isn't doesn't you know if you use it on someone who hasn't had training it doesn't a lot of it doesn't generate the big throws it generates someone falling over right which is fine which is totally fine it's just mm -hmm. i think the the aesthetics thing this is a bit of a chicken egg thing and i think uh, this this ties into the conflict resolution stuff because mm -hmm. the good technique well timed looks gorgeous mm -hmm. Right, a beautiful, well-timed, you know, a perfectly timed throw looks amazing, regardless of the martial art. It looks amazing, right. and Aikido mm -hmm. throws, you know, they, they lend themselves to this good look. But mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. Something that looks aesthetically good isn't necessarily amazing, mm -hmm. or it, it can be, but a lot of the time it's amazing on the part of the UK. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that the parallel to conflict resolution is that. Of course, when you have the perfect situation where you say just the right thing and everyone you know lives happily ever after and there's like sunshine and butterflies, that's wonderful. But sometimes it, that's just not how it's going to go. It's it's going to be stumbly and it's going to be awkward, and there's going to be a little bit of resentment. But hopefully, the resolution that you get to is something that kind of works for the people involved. Sure. Or at least works at at the very minimum works for you. You know, Absolutely. because if, you, if you're teaching somebody, while it's nice if it works for the other people in their life as well, your primary responsibility is to your student, right? It is. Um, you know, and there's one other aspect that I think is very relevant to the conflict resolution part, which, and this is something I do like about Aikido, but there are other arts that have this too. And that is that when you have enough martial prowess, you have a mind to protect your opponent from themselves. And, I, and this is where I can see that some of the... Um, martial art practitioners, some within Aikido, not many, but but a few are really get on the, I'm going to throw somebody so hard that they will not get back up again. When in fact, they do have enough control to not have that outcome. And I see that within negotiations as well, where you build credibility with somebody that you're trying to resolve a conflict with when you say, I don't want you to come out of this harmed, or, you know, I don't want to win at the cost of you being angry or feel like you've been taken advantage of you that builds trust and a negotiation is is built on a certain level of trust and i think that aikido physical technique can have that same level of engagement with from nage's standpoint to say i'm going to make sure i'm not harmed but i'm not just gonna mm -hmm. have you broken 
at the end yeah. of this whole thing, unless that is absolutely necessary to ensure that innocent people are not harmed. Yeah, totally. And the, the martial prowess thing is, um, you know, you need to have enough ability to keep yourself safe. And mm -hmm. once you've done that and you need, you know, and not, not, not to oversell this, like I, I, you know, you resolve the situation, how you need to resolve it. But if you have a choice and if you have enough ability to make sure that nobody gets hurt, it's also less hassle for you, right. you know, legally, psychologically, et cetera, mm -hmm. and in all sorts of ways. But you do need to, you know, it's always, you hear like Aikido is about not harming the opponent. I like to reframe that into Aikido is about using the minimum necessary force. Right. That's but a good way to put it. Because the, the, the careful line is, word in there. are you so interested in their safety that you compromise yours? Yeah. And that to me is the hard line. That's the boundary line of, I am going to keep myself safe first and foremost. And then if I can, I'll try to keep you safe too. But if it's yeah, one or the other my safety comes first. You know, and from a very practical standpoint and why conflict resolution skills are a useful thing to do with Aikido is because one of the best ways to do that is not to have a physical conflict. Right. So you get the conflict resolution before at least good enough that you don't have a physical confrontation. That is the best way to keep someone safe. Sure. Hurt feelings beat broken bones, generally. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that's where the situation, it, it requires that assessment to say, can can I avoid the physical part while not giving up a, another boundary of mm. you know that wallet that's got the last bit of money for you and your family yeah. to eat? That's right. Sort of um, yeah, it's it's hard to have a formula, but it, it's I think it's possible to have a basic grasp of all right, what is your priority? What are your priorities, and what are the boundaries that you're willing to set and enforce in order to maintain your safety and security? Yeah, and I mean, and th there are places you can learn this. I mean, I, I learned from you know Rory's Concom, which I teach now. So that there are courses for this. There are different other different methods that also work. There's mm -hmm. lots of ways that you can teach these skills, but it does need to be addressed like any other skill. I mean, I, I feel like I'm like repeating myself on every time I'm I'm talking to somebody in, in sort of public. Is soft skills are actual skills you need to actually practice. Like right. this is it's the same with this. Like there there are things that you can learn. Other people have had enough experience to accumulate some things that work in these situations. You know, every one of us has been talking to people since a very young age. We're actually decent at it. It's just that sometimes we've got into these patterns that aren't super helpful for us, or we encounter situations we haven't before, and then we need some actual training and skills. Right. Yeah, and I think we're we're getting close to close to time, but you know, we've covered a number of good. Uh, ways to to look into these things and my recommendations would be look into uh negotiation uh resources books websites that sort of thing um i do like rory miller and mark mcyoung they talk about how to how to spot the different types of violence because and they, they'll start <clears throat> they'll describe how it does usually start verbally about how usually when conflict begins, it's because somebody's territory has been crossed, somebody's been insulted. You may not realize that how, how you or why you did it or or even that it happened, but that's where it often begins. And they they will label those different types of conflicts so that you can more easily spot them. Because a lot of times these conflicts happen just because somebody's clumsy. They didn't realize that they crossed about somebody's boundary, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing. So those are some other resources. I also like mediation ones because 
they really talk about how to deal with highly charged type situations. And these are often, mediators will often try to resolve conflict with things like property ownership, legal issues. Sometimes the, the really tense ones tend to be with things like uh, uh, family court related things like child custody after divorce. You talk about some of the most highly charged conflicts you'll have is going to be in that realm. So a lot of the, the methods that they use are, are, are very good to, to research. Can you think of other resources you would recommend? Um, so there's, I mean, as you said already, Rory Miller, particularly the book Conflict Communication. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one for this that I really recommend. Um, there's a book, and I remember the title of the book. I don't remember the author. Um, it's just titled How to Deal with Difficult People. I'll actually send you the link so you can put it in the comments. Um, sure. Uh, that one is, it, it's quite good. It's been a while since I've read it. It had some specific things that few other things have, like how to go about if you have an existing relationship where you want to change something. Mm -hmm. So that's quite useful. Um, I for A big part of it is social awareness. So Gavin De Becker's The Gift of Fear is quite useful. Yeah, that's um, a great book. Particularly, sorry? That's a great book. Yeah, particularly if you look at the tactics that bad guys use, you know, you, you can use the same tactics, just mm -hmm. not maliciously, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, something you said with that, that also I want to kind of highlight is um, conflict resolution also applies to things where people are being deliberately manipulative. Right. Because a lot of the time you can shut that down with verbal skills or at least make them realize that you know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you onto them, you're not going to take it. And that that can help. It's not just the social stuff. It can help to use, you know, Rory's language in asocial situations to some degree as well, depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I found that those are the trickiest uh, conflicts to resolve is when you run into a very cunning manipulator. That it's it's hard to they don't they won't overtly notify you that they're basically moving kind of against you or they're trying to manipulate a situation and be you know, honest sometimes, deceptive other times, those are the hard ones to flush out. You can be with around somebody or dealing with somebody like that for months before you realize mm -hmm. what's happening. And yeah, a big part of the tactic is, you know, to keep you invested in the relationship. So you play by the social rule book. Mm -hmm. So there are things that it's very situational, but one of the things that can work is pointing out exactly what they're doing, mm -hmm. you know, or that, that, that can work. Um, no. It, you know, boundary setting, removing yourself from the relationship. I mean, there's lots of options that you have there, but yeah, it can be really tricky, especially if they're good at it. Yeah. And I, I'd yeah. say that that can be one of the, yeah, the people that I've run into like that in the past, and there haven't been many of them, but they are very skilled at creating enough relationships where they kind of entrench their own mm. interests. And like you talked about in the neighborhood, you know, where you build positive relationships and then they kind of, they'll pick targets of who they want to start manipulating. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, if you try to call them out on it, it looks to everybody else like they're just the benevolent person and they don't, nobody will believe that they could, they could yeah. act, you know, be a bad actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's nothing I would want to wish on anybody. Uh, no. It's very not pleasant to deal with. No. All right. So since you said we're coming up on time, I just want to kind of close out the initial topic. If that's yeah, right. absolutely. Um, where I think like, especially after the conversation today, my thoughts on it are that I don't think Aikido teaches conflict resolution per se. 
but I think it is very well suited to integrate the teaching of conflict resolution into it because there are a lot of parallels and I think the skills mesh very well. One thing I will say is if you're an Aikido instructor and you're thinking that this should be something that your students do, learn before you teach, please. Like, please make sure that, you know, I'm only saying this because I see this sometimes on the internet where people start taking like, they build this elaborate conflict resolution method they wish would work from like a quote of a senses, mm -hmm. and they actually have no idea what they're talking about. So it's really important that as instructors, we actually make sure we keep our skills sharp, we keep them up to date, we walk the walk, we're honest to our students with where our skills come from and how much we are able to do this. Because it's perfectly legitimate to say, I'm learning this along with you. I think this fits really well with the physical stuff we do. If you have different experiences, please tell me, you know, but like make sure that, you know, it's of the same quality as the physical stuff that you do. But I do think that it's a very good fit for Aikido. I don't know what you think, Tristan. Uh, boy, you said that perfectly. I just, I can't even add anything to that, but but I, I totally agree. And I, I would also say too that, maybe, maybe just to add this on is, and I love this phrase, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Hmm study certainly get skilled and knowledgeable in this and not just by reading one or two books but once you have a breadth of uh, and some understanding don't think like you need to be the world's perfect negotiator before you can start disseminating some good information mm -hmm. um so you know it's it's good to to investigate those things but um and certainly stay within your scope of of knowledge but don't don't be so self-conscious about it that you just say, I'm not good enough yet and, yeah. and not address it at all. I think that, um, you know, if you, if you have students that, that are, that need that part of it, take your responsibility as an instructor to gather the knowledge process it, get help if you need to, and then get the, get it to them. And I, I do think that it's, it's something that every martial artist should have some experience in. And I think that this is kind of comes into the, like when Plato and, and Socrates would talk about the, the their perfect human being is the balance of martial prowess. Plato was a wrestler. And then the ph philosophical side, which I think is the intelligence, the ability to reason using, using your brain, not just your, your force. I think those, those have to be in balance. Yeah. And it's cool to say as an instructor, you know, this is a thing that is there that you should probably know about. We don't do it here. Mm -hmm. But like find someone who you can send your students to or somewhere you can direct them and just or bring someone in or whatever. Just say, you know, I think this is important. You should be aware of it. We don't do it because of training times or because it's not of your interest. That's that's perfectly legitimate. But mm -hmm. make the students aware maybe that it's a thing because it is very, very useful, as you said. Absolutely. So, well, thank you very much, Dan. This has been a great conversation. I, I'm glad we were able to connect up and uh, it's a great topic. Yeah, me too. Oh, uh, one more resource I forgot, actually. Oh, sure. um, Randy King from Canada, if you're into online courses, he has a really big online course on boundary setting that can be really useful if you someone prefers that to books. Excellent. It's a bit more of an investment, but it's, it's a good course. Sure. Excellent. Outstanding. Well, thank you very much, Dan, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Tristan. Bye. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.